You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Ann Hornaday, Chief Film Critic for the Washington Post. And today I'm joined by Annette Benning and Brian Cranston here to discuss their delightful new film, Jerry and Marge Go Large, as well as their storied careers. Annette, Brian, welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. It's great to see you both. And remember, we always want to hear from you, our audience, so you can share your thoughts and questions for our guests on Washington Post Live by tweeting at Post Live. Um, as that introduction suggests, this film is inspired by an amazing true story of Jerry and Marge Selby, who found a loophole in a state lottery game and then invested those winnings back into their small town. Brian, I'd like to start with you. How did you come to find this project or how did it come to find you? Um, there's a, a producer named Amy Bear who uh, is looking for a product that uh, appeals to more mature audiences. And her company is called Landline Productions, which kind of says it all there. If you still have a landline, this is this would be uh, right up your alley. Uh, yeah. So um, she she uh, gave the the script to me, and and I read it. And it was one of those things where this was during the pandemic and the lockdown, and I was feeling constricted and a loss of community and a sense of, of being social with other people like everyone else in the country. And I read this and I thought, this is like a breath of fresh air. This is not only a true story, but it's, it's a story of, of hope and encouragement. It, it uplifts the audience. It uplifted me just reading it. And so I thought, this feels like the right thing to do. And I wanted to feel better. And it's it's like a palate cleanser to me. And I was very, very happy with the outcome uh, and exceedingly delighted when I, I heard that Annette Benning was interested in coming on board. And Annette, you know, it's so interesting because obviously Jerry's the one with the math head and, and he's um, instigated this scheme but Marge is such a crucial, she plays such a crucial role in this narrative. Tell us a little bit about Marge and how you found her. I'm assuming that both of you met your real life analogs at some point. We did, we got to go and meet Jerry and Marge, which was a delightful trip um, on many levels. Uh, my parents are from the Midwest. I'm just about to go visit them again. Uh, I was born in Kansas. Um, so when I read this script, it was delightful. It's an amazing story uh, about these two people who've been married a long, long time, raised six kids, and in their retirement ended up having this incredible adventure. But the women that I know, my mother, my aunts, my grandmothers, they were all from this area. And so I felt like I knew Marge when I read the story. Meeting the real Jerry and Marge was, was a complete delight. We also got to meet some members of their family. We went to their town. We hung out for a few days. We got to sit on the back porch. Um, and they're wonderful people. Uh, Marge is a very straightforward woman. 
She's an incredible homemaker and mom. Uh, literally, one of the things I was most impressed with was she actually made their coats when they were kids. Do you know how hard it is? I mean, I sew, but making, especially a thick winter coat. Um, she's a really capable, loving woman. She loves Jerry. It's so obvious, their love for each other. Um, the personalities in the movie are a little bit different than their personalities in life. One of the things I most respect about Marge is how completely unimpressed she is with the fact that we made a movie about them. Um, I love that about her. I just really admire that. She, she was polite, but she wasn't at all bowled over. Um, and the fact that they ended up making all this money that they shared with their kids and their grandkids and their town didn't really change them. And that's kind of the coolest thing. I, I guess cool isn't quite the right word. The most uh, central thing to the story is that in this case, instead of what happens a lot of times when people come into a lot of money, they their lives didn't change that much. They didn't move. I think they bought a new truck, right, Brian? Was that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Picked up a new Ford truck, and that was about it. <laughs> so I mean, it, it, it's just an extraordinary uh, story to me, I, and I love that about it. And like Brian, I read it during the pandemic in a very isolated state, um, and uh, I thought, wow, this is this is great. This is something my parents would enjoy watching. Quite frankly, I really thought about that. <laughs> My mom and dad are 96 and 93, and they um, I've made a lot of movies that my, particularly my father won't watch. <laughs> so uh, anyway, yeah. I made a lot of movies that nobody would watch. <laughs> <laughs> I've made those too. <laughs> well, you know, Annette, I know you're from the Midwest, Full disclosure, your Uncle Clark was a very good friend of my parents. I'm from Des Moines, Iowa. Get out! True story. And I know oh. just what you mean about, I know just what you mean about people being unimpressed. You know, it's just there's a certain Midwestern um, reserve, warmth, but reserve that you absolutely capture. And, and I was wondering, as you were playing, Marge, if it didn't feel like something of a parallel life, like, if you had stayed in Topeka, if you had grown up there and married, you know, the serial guy, was this a path my life might have taken? I don't know if that ever crossed your mind. That's really interesting. I, we moved to San Diego when I was seven. And right. so I kind of became a California kid by the beach and all of that. But yeah, th there's that woman in me for sure with all that comes with that. Because as I said, uh, the women in my life, the, the, the moms, the aunts, the grandmothers, their friends, all of those folks, including my Uncle Clark and his wife, Chris. Chris is still alive. Uncle Clark passed away. But um, we actually went to his funeral in Des Moines. I took my parents to that. That was beautiful. But uh, And he was so charismatic, my Uncle Clark. I really adored him. But yeah, that there is something to all that. I, 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 I was very inspired by my mom, and I still am, just as a woman. I really respect my mother, and she was a homemaker, and she did 
um, devote her entire energy pretty much to the family, except that she's also a great singer. So she was always in choral groups. She always sang in the church choir. I was in the church choir. My mom also um, was a professional church singer because there are some churches that actually hire singers to come in. So, But I was always inspired by my mom. And um, since I did have a profession, in some ways, I that it's a it's kind of a duality inside of me and i think for my sister too who's a doctor because we kind of have that old-fashioned notion of what it is to be a woman and a wife and a fam and how you function in a family as a woman but then there's also this um you know this other part of us that takes care of ourselves and has our own ambitions and our own creativity and our own um, sense of self that we need to cultivate exactly um you know what occurred to me too watching this is that you're both you're playing tips of iceberg you know you're playing the tip of of your of the iceberg of your individual characters in terms of their histories and their personal histories and you're playing the tip of an iceberg in their own marriage this is a 46 year marriage and we're sort of seeing it we're, we're there's so much history that you are suggesting um just by the look of an eye or a gesture um and i'd like to go to a clip um, that, that kind of gets to Jerry and Marge's wonderful relationship. Let's go to the clip and come back after. I felt silly. And we, we barely have enough money to retire on as it is, and this is no time to risk it. Yes, it is. What? It's time to risk it, because right now we're losing something that matters even more. I've waited 40 years for it to be just us, and so far we kind of suck at it. We have Jeopardy. Oh, that's not a thing. Jerry, I want to have fun. I want to have fun. Let's be a little stupid. Huh? They got married when we were 17, so we know how to do it. Oh, that's true. We need something for us. Uh -huh. I didn't think it would be playing the lottery, but I'd rob a bank if it gave us something to talk about. <laughs> um, Brian, what are the, you know, Jerry's a pretty buttoned up guy. I think we can stipulate that. So tell us a little bit about the challenges of, of, of playing him. Well, the real Jerry is actually not. What what Annette alluded to is is really true. Jerry is gregarious and outgoing and friendly, and and Marge is more of the observing kind of um, re, a, a reserve type of person. So uh, we kind of flipped it. Um, we just felt that it might be more interesting for the audience if Jerry has a, a, a place to go. So I, I thought if he was more reserved and uh, more of the, what we would assume a mathematician would be like, you know? And so I, I felt it was the right thing to do that, especially in the text, it talks about how he was always good at numbers and could do Sudoku and, and figure geometry and, and out easily in his head. But he wasn't so good at figuring out people. And that's where we took the theatrical license to say that he, Jerry, my Jerry Selby still has a, a journey to make. And uh, this experience uh, 
helped him to realize and understand people better and therefore assimilate into his town and his friends <clears throat> and open up a bit. And that, <clears throat> that was fun to do. That was really a lot of fun to do. And, and uh, it, it, it is a sense of community and, and uh, togetherness. That, and I will also add that one of the most important thing that Gary and Marge did with their winnings was create a college fund for all their grandchildren, um, which was, you know, a lovely thing to do. So they just, that, that's what was important to them. And so they set that up uh, and everybody in the town uh, was able to improve their lives, even if it was incrementally. And so you saw gardens being created and people painting their houses or putting up a nice fence or doing doing little things that just lifted up the entire town of Everett, Michigan, which to this day has one traffic light and 1,900 people in the town. You know, as I was watching it, I suddenly had a revelation, which is that Jerry is almost the better angel of Walter White. You know, they're both men who are using this deep knowledge, deep expertise for their families, granted, you know, and, and tell us, did you, did you pick up on that? Was that ever part of your calculation here? I, I, if I ever made an association between Jerry Selby and Walter White, I think they would, they would have to take me away. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't, although probably subliminally, I, I think of opportunities and ways to divert away from that character for for obvious reasons to me as an actor i want to be able to explore other avenues um and and of course similarities will always be drawn because i'm the same actor playing that role uh, jerry selby or walter white or all this craziness that's going on with my face <laughs> so i'm able to jump in and, and look different and feel different and that's really my goal when i look for projects well, you know, not to, to beat the Walter White horse to death, but both are also sort of avatars of a time of, of real economic sort of dislocation. I mean, Jerry and Marge aren't desperate. You know, they're they're OK. You know, as, as, as that scene with um, your accountant suggests, you're, you're getting along. But there's this sort of underlying there is an underlying anxiety to this that I think really does speak to our times right now. Well, I think it does. I mean, and, and I think that's what Annette and I responded to. It's not just the material itself or the characters or that the fact that it's a true story, but it, it was, we're feeling that contraction, that, that, that restrictive uh, behavior in, in our ability to move, to socialize, and coming right out of the pandemic uh, lockdown, I think we both felt this is this is a breath mint. This 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 film, Jerry and Marge Go Large, will not change your life, but it can change your day. And I really started to embrace the value of that simple equation. That it 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 does bring an improvement to people's lives, even if it's just a 90-minute distraction from their troubles or their issues of their lives. It, it's so true. And I also think the tone of it, you know, the humor is so, it's very gentle. It's unforced. It's not a gag, 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 you know, 
set up, set up, punchline. It's just very low key in that best sense of the word. And looping back to you, Annette, when you wanted to make something for your parents, which I totally relate to, because as a reviewer, sometimes when I would visit my dad in Des Moines, I would want to show him what I was watching, but I couldn't. I mean, there was very little that we would be able to enjoy together. So just tell us a little bit about kind of where you think the movie business is now in terms of, I'd say older audiences, but an underserved audience that I think is being served by this film. Well, I don't know that I'm an expert on that, but I know that, um, you know, the culture is one we, we, uh, we make what we think sells, I guess, a lot of the time. Although um, there are quite a few projects that are done all the time that do have a, a bigger um, objective than just getting as many audience members to tune in as possible. So um, I think that there's just a tremendous amount going on because of all the streaming services. There's lots and lots of places looking for material. Uh, the independent film business, which I'm part of very, very often, I just finished one literally yesterday. That's a tricky part of what we do because trying to find ways to make Personal movies, often they're very personal. Um, maybe they have they have to work with a smaller budget, uh, but they want to shoot film, which we did. Um, that's that's very tricky. How you get the money together to make those movies, and then after after they're made, how do they get sold? Uh, film festivals, I think, are playing an even bigger part than ever in terms of how to launch movies and then often what we do is we go to film festivals we show our movies and then people buy them often they're put on streaming services now because that's obviously the only way to get seen for something to get seen or sold uh so i mean the from my point of view the reality is we're becoming one screen yes there are movie theaters that we can go to they're more and more rare and people go less and less People watch things on their phones, people watch things on their iPads, their television sets. So in a way it's a blessing because I think a lot of things are getting made that wouldn't have been made before. Sometimes things, I love when something should be, for instance, three episodes long and it's only three episodes long or it's supposed to be nine episodes and then it's made in that length, kind of like a book. Is it a short story that's appropriate to be that length or is it a, huge novel that needs to be this long in order to to um, fulfill the artist's the writer's vision so in a way our storytelling on screen is mirroring that a little bit more the economics of it i can't really speak to i think it's kind of a free-for-all right now it is a free-for-all and and a question i have this obviously is a streaming piece um it almost, tell me, Brian, how does it, does it feel different when you're sending a piece of work out into that, to that space as opposed to a theater? I mean, do you get a sense of how audiences are responding or does it sort of feel like goodbye and you never, like, tell me, does it sort of change your relationship to the work once it's out? Uh... I don't, I don't think it does. I mean, it certainly doesn't change the approach to the work. Uh, I, I don't approach the character development any differently if it's, go, if it's going to a platform television or widescreen or massive release or so. It, you, you approach it differently. I would, I would 
to say that Annette probably feels the same way about that. You you approach your work the same way. You don't uh, say, well, it's only going here, so we'll just do this much work. Uh, so it, it's, it's still the same amount of energy and creativity and thought goes into creating them. Afterward, I don't know. I think I think Annette and I uh, understand the, the that people need to figure out where they want to see their product, and and uh, we're just grateful that there there's a place that uh, like Paramount Plus that that uh, people can go to and see this movie. Um, it is it is something that would be considered lighter, um, and sometimes you're in the mood for that. You really are. Like you, you, you had a busy day or a hectic day, or there might be news that is upsetting, and you want a distraction. You want something that just makes you feel better. And there's true value in that. And I'm, I'm happy to be a part of something that embraced that. That's lovely. We do have a question from Anonymous Anonymous. Thanks, Anonymous Anonymous on Twitter. I was at the premiere in Tribeca two weeks ago, Rain Wilson seemed to be off seemed to be off script a lot. Was he as funny off camera as he was on? <laughs> Take it away. Yeah, he was. He he's a funny guy. He's you know, but he's also very uh, dedicated to his work. So um, while he was throwing out ad libs, um, and there were several ad libs that he did that ended up in the movie, uh, and a uh, many that didn't. But you don't know what's going to work, so you just keep creating and keep throwing it out there and his character was primed for that it was it was just perfect for that kind of uh loose cannon type of character um so yeah he was fun to work with in fact him and and larry wilmore and michael mckean and anna Retta, i mean there's jake mcdormand we, we had a we had a really great group and uh, a lot of fun and um it, i think it I think that was the experience that we wanted to have. We wanted the the result to be fun and entertaining, and that was also our experience in making it. It's a it's a thank you for name checking Larry Wilmore and Michael McKean. They are, it's it, the whole it's a wonderful ensemble piece as, as well as a great showcase for both of you. Um, so Brian, now you've played Lyndon Johnson, Dalton Trumbo. Jerry Selby, is there an historical figure who's next for you? Who you got your eye on? I vote for George H. W. Bush. I kept getting a vibe during this movie, but that's you know, it's it's funny that you you mention that because I've had several people say that I I resemble um, H. W. Uh, and it was interesting. I even then went and read uh, a biography on him. Um, <laughs> But thus far, nothing has come, um, and uh, you know it, it is it is delicate territory when you're playing a character, a non-fictional character, someone who left their mark enough to to tell a story about. Uh, there's more responsibility from an actor standpoint because in in many of those cases, like Dalton Trumbo or LBJ, uh, his family members his close associates, friends, and business apart partner, they're still alive. And I wanted to, I, I went to them and, and to gain a lot of information and to be able to get the sensibility of the character. 
as I told uh, Lyndon Johnson's two daughters, I have no intention of doing impersonation of your father. I, I just want to get his essence. If I can feel like his essence is within me, then, then that's my goal. Uh, and they were very, very helpful in, in helping to guide me as far as their own personal experience. And, and there is more responsibility, but it's, it's a big challenge. And I know Annette is, is, uh, is doing the same thing. So quickly, tell, tell, do fill us in what is next for both each of you? Well, <laughs> let's see. I, after I made Jerry and Marge, I went and made a movie about a marathon swimmer named Diane and I had. Um, so there's that. And then I finished, I just like I said, I just mentioned this movie. Chris Pine, the actor, is now a writer-director. And with his partner, Ian Gutler, they wrote a script called Pool Man that Chris Pine directed and acted in. And I just finished that. So from a work point of view, that those are my, those are my uh, credits. You have a lot of water in your future, or we have a lot of water <laughs> and that in the water in your future. How about you, Brian? What's is, is um, the beard a uh, clue to something? Yeah, it's it's yeah. for a, a movie project that I'm that I'm doing now that I'm not really supposed to be talking about. But <laughs> after Jerry and Marge, um, I had a great experience in Spain working with Wes Anderson on a movie called Asteroid City, with a, a lot of other actors, and it was a very communal experience where we would work a 10 hour day only and then we'd go back to this hotel in Spain where we controlled the whole thing and we'd have these dinners with 40 people of, of actors and, and writers and it was like a really wonderful creative environment and I, I really enjoyed that and then I went to uh, London and shot a movie called Argyle with Dallas Bryce Howard and Sam Rockwell uh, about a like a she's like a female uh, Jason Bourne but it's a comedy and it's terrific and so that'll be that's the the other thing I did and and then I rested I took a lot of naps well as well you should and, and I I think I have time for one lightning round it has to be a lightning round but if, if there's, is there one writer slash director out there that you're dying to work with? Top of mind, first thought, best thought. Lisa uh, Chalodink. To both of you. Oh, that's a good one. Can, can we do it together? <laughs> uh, Guillermo del Toro uh, comes to mind. Um, uh, it, there's so many, uh, you know, it's, it's hard. That's a good one. I'll accept it. I'll allow it. That's a good one. And that anything pop it here. Lisa. Lisa Chilodenko. Ah, excellent answers. Wonderful. Well, I hope that we just sent messages out into the universe and I hope it shall be so. Um, we are bringing this conversation to an end. It has been wonderful having both of you with us. Thank you so much for joining us today, Brian Cranston and Annette Benning. Thank you. Thank Anne. you. Anne. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.